Welcome to Muffliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. I'm Sarah. And I'm Blake. And today, Josh, Sarah, and I get out the hedge clippers as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and come down to the 31st chapter, The Third Task. Now, Josh, I, I don't know if you heard it, but uh, there, there was an extra voice there in the intro. Uh, and I'm just wondering, did, did you hear that? I did hear that. I'm a bit worried that we have a bit of a Rita Skeeter Animagus on our hands or something like that. Just off in the corner reporting. I can't imagine <laughs> what she would report on for this episode, uh, drastically taking things we say out of proportions as she oh, normally, I can just, normally I can just does. see the, the quick quotes quill just uh, squirreling away over there. No, uh, I, I love that we actually have a, uh, a lovely third co host here especially with the chapter title called the third task we actually have a third host perfect yes listeners we have a very special guest today this is actually my sister sarah a longtime harry potter fan and sometime listener uh, and we just thought since she is visiting new zealand that she could be a special guest for us today on the third task she told me re- earlier today that um, the goblet of fire was one of her favorite books um so sarah is the Goblet of Fire, a top three book for you, Ooh, even higher. Where where question. does it fall on your, your rankings? Great question, Josh. I would say it's probably in my top four for sure. I don't know about top three. So four out of seven just means like barely top half. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to, to quote you, you did say, I love that book. Now, is that just because if I said any of the Harry Potter books, you would say, I love that book or... Yes. Okay. okay. Good to know. Good to know. That's like, uh, that's and thank you, Sarah. That's, that's it. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's like normal. Normal fan status of saying like anything that you like. You you know you kind of like oh I love that book. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. You know and it, yeah. and it can be yeah. hard. But but what you should have said when introducing your sister Josh is that we have a fan who's flown all the way over to New Zealand just to be on this episode with us recording with mm. us. Uh, you know I think that's my that's maybe how you should have phrased it uh just to really amp yeah. up how yeah. uh how special that muffliato is to your sister's uh listening and podcast needs you know well and i think like the thing is is that our our patreon support is just going so well that we now have the <laughs> funds to fly out <laughs> special guest hosts for the podcast and and this is something that you and i never thought would be possible um but with help from our listeners we can make it happen we can yeah yeah i think if i I'll double check, but I think we might need a few hundred more uh, supporters uh, in order to make yes. something that like like that <laughs> legitimately possible. But how about yeah. I would love to kind of hear sort of favorite book and favorite movie from mm. you, Sarah. What would you say is your favorite book and favorite movie? I think probably my favorite book is either Prisoner of Azkaban or The Half Blood Prince. Okay. Love those oh, ones. And I think yep. why the Half Blood Prince? I just love it so much. <laughs> All right. So Sarah, Half Blood Prince. Are you Half Blood Prince because of the relationships or because of the pensive slash trips into Voldemort? I do past? love the trips into Voldemort's past. I hate in the movie how they always cut out so much of mm. that because I feel like you mm. lose so yeah. much of it. Like you don't really see Ogden at all, like going to yeah, little Hangleton, or you don't really see the significance of everything, mm-hmm. I feel like. So I love the book because it just really brings that all to life. Yeah. And yeah, then cool. the or the I watched the movies first. So I was very confused first in the Prisoner of Azkaban. Did you watch the movies for the first time coming to New Zealand? I did, yes. Yeah. So I oh. the first time I came to New Zealand, or I guess the second, the second time, time for your wedding. But yeah, yeah. 
I stayed up all night, all 14 <laughs> hours watching all the Harry Potter movies. Yes. Um, so that was not a good idea. But but at the same time, a great idea. At the same time, a great idea. So I probably fell asleep, I think, four times during that movie. So I was so confused. So you were right at the end? Yeah. You were, you were coming into the home stretch? Well, no. Of the I, flight? I don't even know. It was only the third one. But I, oh, so are you saying Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, okay. Crazy. Yes, yes. Right. Um, but then I read the book and there's also just so much more in the book than in the movie. Like the importance of scabbers and the importance yeah, of yeah. um the streaking shack and yeah. just all of it tied in so much mm-hmm. clearer mm-hmm. than um the movie. So mm-hmm. that really yeah. love that. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Probably favorite That's movie awesome. would just be Sorcerer's Stone because it's just so nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It is pretty nostalgic. It it really does have the feel of a Christmas movie at the same time of being really this does. great like <laughs> book movie as well yeah nice well and and listeners again we we have the privilege of of being joined by a a very committed very loyal very good hufflepuff and we have a pretty pretty big feature by a hufflepuff hero today cedric diggory whose heroism gets into a bit of trouble with lord voldemort next chapter but sarah's here representing hufflepuff house representing helga professor sprout and all those hufflepuffs we know and love so thank you, Sarah, for joining us. Thank you. All right. How about I uh, summarize, Blake? Yeah, go for it. Harry returns from his visit to Dumbledore's office and tells Ron and Hermione about what he has learned about Snape, Bagman, and Karkaroff. Obeying Dumbledore's request, he does not share the news, however, about Neville's parents. The trio continue to prepare Harry with jinxes for his final task. The latest issue of the Daily Prophet contains yet another story about Harry, this time asserting that he has mental problems and fainting fits all related to his magical scar. Draco Malfoy is a key witness to Harry's ability as a parcel mouth. This story seems to trigger some kind of realization for Hermione, who rushes to the library. Before the final task, champions meet together with their families, who have been invited to watch the end of the tournament. Molly Weasley and her eldest son, Bill, surprise Harry with their support. With the arrival of evening, the champions go to the maze. Little Bagman checks with Harry to ensure that he's feeling confident before the task. Once he is assured that he is, he announces the rules and protections of the maze. Several faculty will patrol the maze's exterior, and the champions will be able to signal trouble by shooting red sparks from their wands. Harry and Cedric, currently tied for first, will enter the maze together, followed by Crumb and Fleur in second and third, respectively. Harry encounters a variety of challenges in the maze, but on the whole, he is surprised by how empty it seems. However, from a distance, he overhears Crumb using the Cruciatus Curse on Cedric. Thinking quickly, Harry rescues his fellow Hogwarts champion by stunning Crumb before they go their separate ways. Next, Harry successfully reasons his way through a Sphinx's riddle and meets up with Cedric again to defeat a giant spider. In the fight, Harry injures his leg and grants the victory to Cedric, who refuses. Finally, Harry suggests that they take it together. As they grab the cup, they experience the rush of winds and realize that the cup is a portkey. So here's the thing, Josh, that I, I find with this chapter is that I would always expect that the you know the, the chapter called the third task is almost like all in the maze but we actually get quite a lot on yeah pre pre maze entry and one of the things i do love about this chapter and it's kind of like a great hermione moment it's kind of like a staple of hers to have a ginormous revelation and to run off Mm. to the library or run off somewhere else to check things without actually telling uh, any of them and it just makes me think back to uh it makes me think back to the uh, the chamber of secrets right when she realizes that yes i was just thinking that as well yeah it's a snake it's a basilisk she runs off 
off and it's like, oh, you know, Hermione, she's always doing that, you know, and it would just be, uh, Mm. I think, helpful to everybody if she were just to fess up and be like, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to run off and check. But maybe that's just me. She she just doesn't like half-baked theories, right? She wants to really solidify things before she is able to, um, you know, re- report on what she knows. She wants to make sure everything is lined up. And, and that is a, a slight flaw in her plan because... People don't know what's going on. Although in this case, not not a too not too big of a of a bad consequence in this situation. You're saying Hermione wants to research the facts first and make sure that she's coming mm. to the right conclusions. I think I think that's a direct opposition to uh, some of the things we've been talking about uh, the uh, uh, the Wizengamot and uh, some of the uh, the magical justice systems. Uh, I think Hermione oh, really man. needs to get so in true. there and bring in a little bit of uh, evidence base, maybe a uh, jury by uh, your peers. Uh, and uh, bring in some yeah. some a little some bit muggle of justice some some sweet muggle justice <laughs> <laughs> oh man so true so true that that uh those those trials are are a bit uh a bit reminiscent of a, a dictator states but uh anyway we, we digress blake i was i was thinking of of this chapter now we've referenced it many times throughout this book but but this has got to be this has got to be the the worst sporting event for a spectator out there. I, I don't know what you could possibly see from your seat in the Quidditch stands. Yeah, I, I don't know. They need magical TVs, magical screens, some kind yeah. of like... Why, why How did, cool would that be? Like a, like a yeah. drone from above, right? I, I don't understand. They're literally staring at a hedge with a band playing and, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you, there's like nothing else to watch <laughs> except Cedric's father saying, my boy! You know, like at the end of it all, but yeah. Oh, that that band is such a funny addition to the to the movie. It's like all of a sudden, wait, Hogwarts has a band, and and the band is like it plays that like kind of sad dying out note as like things are going badly. And things like yeah, it's, oh, it's very, so funny. It's it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good movie scene to kind of communicate this. The sound. Yeah. I think that's probably why they added yeah. the band to to kind of come to that complete yeah, stop. No now, uh, now, Sarah, you uh, you might know this, but um, your brother is quite the king of theme, and um, and that's something <laughs> that uh, you know I, I fall short in that area. So, uh, Josh, why don't you tell your sister how amazing you are at uh, you know sort of deducing oh, these dear. themes from these chapters, and and what do we see here? Yeah, so this is a bit of an interesting theme in in the sense of you know, the, the word that I was thinking of, and I I don't mean this in in the sense that it's normally used, but the the word is caricature, and you know a caricature is like a, an exaggerated drawing that you might get at a, um, at, a at a fair or on a um, like an amusement park type pier, kind of Santa Monica pier type thing. Um, and you know it's got all these features that are taken out of proportion, and and you focus on those those noticeable features. Um, but in this chapter, what we see is that a lot of our characters, like Harry and Hermione, certainly Cedric, and and some others that we'll come to see, are really exaggerated versions of themselves. Especially in the case of Cedric, he he comes to exemplify the best characteristics of Hufflepuff, but that really ends up being for his downfall, um, his goodness, his nobility. Um, not in the sense of like noble blood, but as far as like being noble, um, his loyalty, his hard work, all of those things are the reason why he ends up actually in the graveyard with Voldemort unnecessarily. Um, and Harry's bravery, 
Harry's um, sense of justice too, and that leads him to go and help Cedric in the midst of, of the maze. All of these things end up being almost used against them by Voldemort without them knowing. And, and that's one of the things that um, what we've come to see throughout the series is how Voldemort will often take these things that are um, good characteristics and use them against people. And, and with those two characters specifically, um, we see their, um, some of their best traits being used against them um, unknowingly. Well, if I were you, Sarah, I feel like I would be pretty, uh, pretty proud to be a, uh, a Hufflepuff and uh, be represented by Cedric mm. Diggory. Yeah, Cedric is one of my favorite characters, so that's why Goblet of Fire ranks a little lower, mm. just because it's so sad. Oh. <laughs> yes, Love the first yeah. half, but the second yeah. half just gets me every time. <laughs> they had us in the first half, not going to literally. Lie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I, you know, it's one of those things with, with, you know, the descriptions of, of the houses that, you know, you have reasonably, I'd say, even characteristics about the houses, maybe Slytherin being a little bit more openly evil in in the, you know, descriptions, although I'll contest that. But then you come to Hufflepuff house, and it's like just characteristics of being a, a good or decent person. And it's like, how did they get that? Um, you know, it's like Slytherins are ambitious and cunning and Hufflepuffs are good and hardworking. It's like, oh, come on. They're, they're clearly the, the author's favorite house, I think. I feel like I'd probably agree with that one. Now, one of, one of the things that uh, I'm sure you're aware of, uh, Sirius, like we, we, we delve into characters and character development. But before jumping into kind of the characters of this chapter, uh, who, who are your favorite characters in this in this mm. series not specifically mm. just goblet of fire the you know this book because obviously uh, cedric degree being uh, one of them both ha- happy and sad in, in that regard but you know other characters throughout the series that um you know are particular sort of gems uh, in your eyes i love professor mcgonagall Ooh. and Ooh, okay Hermione. yeah and i feel like molly weasley is an mm-hmm. underlooked character how much she takes care of harry and really supports him molly weasley is great yeah and we see some of that in this chapter don't we yeah. yes um, yeah, yeah. That, you know when harry you know he's he's kind of dreading going to the champions meeting because he knows he has no family and who is there molly and i'm I don't know why, to be honest, I don't know why Bill is there other than the fact that he gets to notice Fleur. Like, could Arthur really not make it? I'm a bit confused. Yeah, but Molly he's, is there. He's- he was visiting and and Mrs. Weasley said, I've got this errand <laughs> to run. I kind of need to show up for Harry because his mom and dad are dead. You know, just can yeah. you can you come with me? <laughs> you know, uh, no, I'm sure she was more more mm. loving uh, than than that. But we do. Yeah, we do get a nice moment of um, sort of Cedric popping his head out being like, Harry, come on, they're waiting. And it's like, wait, what? Like, yeah. uh, and I just love that. He actually has to have the thought that the the Dursleys are there. Like I know. Has, you Can know, you imagine? Like, that is just that is mm. no that that would be nowhere on my mind if I was in Harry's shoes. I'd just be like, yeah, no, that's just like completely impossible. But a very sweet thing that the Weasleys kind of show up, and it just sort of mm. cements that yeah. kind of thing of um that that the Weasleys are Harry's kind of closest family in that regard, and that mm. mother figure coming in from Mrs. Weasley. Um, and I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say Mr. Weasley is a, a father figure as such. I feel like it's because he's more at the ministry. I feel like it's more Mrs. Weasley that uh, Harry has those interactions with. Mm-hmm. So she's more the motherly figure. And I think Harry draws sort of fatherly figures uh, from other areas other than Mr. Weasley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, well, and I, I'd maybe put it a step further and say that there are um, some ways that Mr. Weasley represents something of a father to Harry, but I don't think there's anybody else that represents a mother to him other than Molly, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, Molly Weasley takes the cake. And and one of the great things mm. is uh, that that sort of comes to light from her talking and discussing um, with uh, with Harry. So in that sort of first half of the chapter is we sort of learn some sort of ex-Hogwarts uh, employees. <laughs> um, a, love, bit of, uh, a bit of goss. A little bit of goss. I love Og, the gamekeeper, um, but uh, my favourite <laughs> is the uh, Apollyon Pringle and uh, how he uh, he caught Mr. Mr. Weasley and uh, uh, Mrs. Weasley sort of on a nighttime stroll. A nighttime stroll where uh, it seems as though there was maybe something other than just strolling going on. Yeah, I, I like that eventually, you know, like the, the consequences that Mr. Weasley gets caught in this and uh, and Arthur still has the marks from getting caned. And oh, I, that's brutal. I don't. I, yeah, and and obviously, you know, Mrs. Weasley knows that uh, you know he's still got those marks, and uh, I'm just wondering. I, I think you know when it comes to caning, I think it might be on the backside. So yeah, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, Molly Weasley, what a character! And Blake, other than other than Molly Weasley, we also see some. Uh, Harry Potter character development, and as we've previously mentioned, he shows some pretty pretty intense loyalty to uh, to Cedric. Cedric Cedric and he have a have an interesting relationship in this book. In this book, in that they're both both rivals for Cho Chang. They're both um, rivals in the tournament. They've been rivals previously in Quidditch, uh, and yet here, um, Harry feels pretty intense loyalty to someone that he's viewed as a competitor up until this point. Yeah, I think because it just gets very real in the maze, right? It, get, yeah. it becomes just mm-hmm. more like not a not a competition, but just life and death. Kind of like it's a very real mm-hmm. situation. As soon as that kind of, I feel like crumb busts out the Cruciatus curse, it's probably like actually like no, this is something that I need to <laughs> really take seriously. And it's also probably mm. a little bit of loyalty to the school, you know, like Cedric is yes. um, another Gryffindor, and hey, may as well support the support the team. But the funny thing is, like he he still like you know, it's just in his nature to to be like that because he knows what it feels like to kind of be uh you know the little guy and uh, and he's able to um to sort of provide when when others need it and so you know when it comes to mm. crumb even though he's uh doling out the unforgivable curses uh he still you know rather than letting get him get eaten up which i think is cedric's pick um he uh he sends out those red sparks <laughs> and kind of gives a little bit of mercy mm. to him is crumb under the imperious curse because in the movies they make it seem mm. like that mm. but in the book i couldn't find any thing that it actually said that yeah that's good that's a good point I, in, in the movies there's like there's that look in his eyes right that's kind of he's like that's how they the kind gloss, of communicate the glossed overlook mm-hmm. i think yeah i think it talks about it in the, so i um, think the in, explanation at the in, end um with barty crutch jr yeah is it in barty crutch jr's speech is that right mm, yeah i believe it is yeah. yeah so i think it's only there that and so yeah so at this point we don't know um but um i think that that is made clear uh later Yes. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, at this point, what we've all all we know at this point um, is that there's something going on with Crumb and um, Barty Crouch Senior. Right? They were last seen together, um, yes. and people are are really thinking that Crumb is perhaps actually evil. Um, you know, Crumb is accused of attacking Fleur by by um, extension in this in this uh, book as well. Um, but you know this. This is a, a bit of a a bit of a, a rough rough finish for for Crumb. You know he he starts the book on a on a bit of a high, catching the snitch at the Quidditch World Cup, and finishes the book imperious. Um, not exactly. Ends on a, uh, yeah, what a like to see. With it, mind you, without the girl, <laughs> without the girl. You know, you know he, he doesn't he, he doesn't get her. That's right. 
scouts. His his trajectory was, you know, lost the Quidditch World Cup, lost Hermione, now lost control. <laughs> and um, you know, not a good look from a man, Victor Crumb. Um, but but like the other thing that we see in this competition, and this is something I just want to uh pick people's minds about, is something that has always struck me with the third task is it seems like it's really anybody's game when we come to the start of the maze, at least in the movie. Now the book doesn't really tell us, but in the movie, the contestants seem to start really close together. The book doesn't tell us, you know, exactly what the gap is in between, but it seems like there's not a huge gap. And I'm left wondering how big of an advantage was it to do well in the first three tasks, first two tasks. Yeah. The, the book doesn't imply like the book. I think the book does imply that it's, it's a smaller gap. Uh, the movies definitely, yeah. you know, it seems quite small as well, but before you know it, they're all in the maze. It sounds like there's no like, Oh, you know, Harry goes up against a challenge or something, um, uh, you know, and then uh, Harry goes up against something and then all of a sudden he hears another whistle. Um, but yeah, I'm not too sure. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah. I feel like unless it was a considerable time, like 20 minutes or something, I feel like you couldn't actually get a head start because if you go down the wrong path then you're just lost yeah mm. like, it, like yeah. It, it's part it's partly due to the nature of the task it like a time advantage would make sense in the lake for example mm. where you're all going in the same direction same distance to travel but in theory you could travel a very short distance if you got all the turns right in the maze mm-hmm. without even moody's help right like it yeah it just seems it seems like an odd one i don't know i feel like one like an advantage would be starting 20 meters, 50 meters closer to the finish line, that would be an advantage. That, like that you get part of the maze taken away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can, you remove the, remove the chance for errors in that early stages, you know, so you, mm, you're you not just yeah. kind of like, oh, if I, because, you know, if Harry's Harry's walking through the maze and all of a sudden uh, Fleur is like, you know, sprinting through these corners, like, you know, she's going <laughs> to catch up kind of roughly. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of thought that was a little bit odd that kind of, you know, the different placings, like it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just mm. a bit, yeah, it's a, yeah. a kind of a an awkward also, thing about the third task. Also, how, how easy is it to um, put holes in the hedge walls? Because Harry does that as well. I feel like it does say that it was pretty hard to do, doesn't it? Like it's it it Yeah, it does. It does, but he still yeah. makes it through. He still like, makes it through. He could just go straight 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 through. Just plow his way through it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would be better if they started them in like four different corners Ooh, of the maze like or something. A, a la yeah. survivor. Yeah, instead of like all the <laughs> yes. same one cuz you like in theory you could just follow someone. That's yes. what I would have done. Let's be real. Dumbledore as great as he is could really use like Jeff Probst to come in and run run the Triwizard Tournament. Or maybe maybe it's Little Bagman's fault. I don't know. But uh, we, we can use some Survivor-esque. You know, they need to be blindfolded, start at all four corners, and then have an immunity necklace on the line. That's what we need. Yeah, there's there's a kind of a parody for you is uh, Harry Harry Potter sort of the Triwizard Tournament in sort of a Survivor type challenges yeah. with the with the different <laughs> colored bandanas. You know how they wear the their different tribes oh, bandanas, yes, yes, but it's like yeah. the Gryffindor color, the you know the Ravenclaw and all that. You kind of get that vibe, yeah. but uh, that would be yeah, that would be um, that would be pretty sweet. But I gotta I gotta say, and I'd be interested to to hear what um, you both mm. think, but. Harry, he wouldn't even make it if he didn't have Moody's help. I think mm. Harry, this is where it sort of shows that Harry's sort of, I don't know, capabilities are, you know, he is younger. He has less than, say, Cedric. Uh, and so I just don't think without Moody's help, I don't think he's making it through the maze. What do you guys think? 
Yeah. I don't think Harry could have made it through any of the tasks without Moody or Hermione's help. <laughs> no offense to Harry, but he's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. He is a procrastinator yeah. and he is just, yeah. I don't think he could have made it through any of them, mm-hmm. especially the second one without uh, Dobby. Dobby's help. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. For forget this one, but the other one. So, like in this task, we we see quite quite clearly that um, he and Cedric tie um, while Harry is being helped. Right. So, I, I think yes. if we if we take even a little bit of that help away, it no longer is a tie, presumably. Um, f- plus, if we throw in we if we're able to throw out um, Crumb's Cruciatus curse, then yeah, you know, maybe it's not even close um, further. Um, but you know, but I think the other thing is is that um, one of the things that I think is is a bit, maybe a bit surprising, and we could have put this under character development, is that some of the tasks that Harry is left with are, are things that might have been areas of weakness for him, um, i.e. the Sphinx. Um, and so, you know, he does show a bit more of a well-rounded um, ability here than, you know, than we might have otherwise thought. Yeah, no, I uh, I'd agree with I'd agree with but, that. Um, but I, I don't yeah. think that I don't think that undermines what what you're saying there, Blake. I don't, you know, no, not without he's, Moody. He's, well, he would and, be good in and, some and, situations. Yeah, and Barty Croach Jr. says as much that there's no way Harry would have been able to do it without him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's pretty pretty evident. And so you know, looking at that, I mean, yeah, Diggory, I I believe would be the the sure winner if it was all a sort of normal circumstances. Maybe mm. just those three um, Triwizard, you know, champions, not Harry. Um, obviously, Crumb, you know, being like in the maze, he's like you know bewitched or whatever, and he's on the warpath. Like, mm. I just don't think that um, you know, take that out. I think I think Diggory's got it in the bag. I like Fleur Delacour. Like she's she's painted in the movies as very like kind of frazzled by the you know the spooky maze mm. and um and kind of as a bit like helpless. Um, I think she'd hold up all right, but I think maybe she um uh, at least lets it get to uh, her in the head, and then I think Crumb gets to her. But yeah, going back to the Sphinx, it really shows char- Harry's character development. Because remember in the first book like, when they're yeah, trying yeah. to go through the um all the sorcerer's stone oh, yeah. tasks. Harry's like, what is even going on with this yeah, riddle? And yeah. then Hermione the figures it out one. right yeah. away, but it shows his development because he yeah. actually is like figuring this one out by himself. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. And I was thinking that too. It's it's the first kind of uh, riddle that we've had since uh, Philosopher's Stone. And and Harry even mentions in, in the chapter how, oh, this is really Hermione's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> it's really quite funny hearing him work it out. He's uh, he's far from a natural. He's like, spy er spy <laughs> oh man so i think funny, uh, but, i think uh, grop you know, could have worked that one out you know Hermio. Oh, but i mean like y- you just think for poor cedric if only harry had had gone from you know spy er in like one guess instead of really taking some time maybe cedric wouldn't have had to go to the graveyard so you know Ouch. come on harry Come on, Harry. Yeah, get your, get your riddles <laughs> right, and Cedric would still be alive. I'm I'm sure that's a very healthy uh, a healthy thing for Harry to be thinking about as uh, as he recovers from his grief. You know uh, that uh, no he doubt he's just pouring over riddle book, foreshadowing. Do we think that you know this um, this task is in it because of Tom Marvolo riddle? Oh, you got me there. <laughs> I'm going to tell you say a hard no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dumbledore is like, I'm gonna get them thinking on this one. Yeah, that's right. He's like, 
hmm, how can I communicate to Harry about his real target, Lord Voldemort? <laughs> no, just kidding. I that was a terrible dad joke. But Sarah, talk to us a bit about the uh, the foreshadowing in this chapter, which which you were talking to me about earlier today. Mm. So in this chapter, you see um, Malfoy talking into his hands, oh. and then Harry makes a comment to Hermione, like it's kind of like a walkie-talkie. Mm. And Hermione reminds him that that is impossible to have a walkie-talkie within Hogwarts grounds. And then we see Hermione rushing off to the library, saying she's figured out something about Rita Skeeter. And then this is foreshadowing that Rita is an illegal animagus, so she turns into a beetle, I believe. Mm. And that is the way she has been able to spy on Harry and get stories about him and figure out... And Hagrid. Um, and Hagrid, yes, um, being a half-giant. Yeah. And even when Her- Hermione is invited by Crumb to mm. visit him over the summer. Yeah. So that kind of plays a part in us figuring out that Rita is sneaking into Hogwarts that way. And Malfoy is talking to her in his hands and giving him information on Harry and his friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and one of the things um, Blake, Blake and I have been doing, actually, Sarah, is um, mm-hmm. we've been having a little bit of a Beetle Tracker uh, <laughs> segment on the podcast because it's 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 funny when you read it through over and over again. You you see that. Um, hang on a second. You know, in in all of these chapters, there's there's like these slight mentions of a bug or a beetle, and it's just so funny to watch them can develop. And this chapter really brings it home. Yeah, the um, well, the interesting thing is that like you, you got to think about like anyone becoming a beetle and being able to slip through like Hogwarts security, like, and I'm just like, surely you know, are any Death Eaters out there like Animaja that they could just jump in and be like, let's slip through this uh, the security and uh, cause some problems for uh, you know Dumbledore and uh, and you know find Harry and sort of hunt him out like. I don't know. I just feel like it's just interesting uh, becoming an an Amagus. And I know it's a hard thing to do, um, but clearly Rita Skeeter was pretty determined uh, for it to be an aid Mm. to her kind of mischievous sort of nosy kind of character. What, though, uh, Sarah, would you turn into if you had the choice uh, if you became an Animagi? Mm. I feel like I'd have to go McGonagall's route and be a cat. I think mm-hmm. that'd be the life. Yeah, I think it'd be so great. Yeah, my cat would be good. Now, I'm I'm always curious. It it seems like it, it seems like there's some kind of um, connection in your personality to how you end up as an animagus, right? Um, you know, certainly that seems to be the case with Wormtail being a rat. He's, mm-hmm. he's a rat. He's untrustworthy. He betrays his friends. There he's, he's a rat. Uh, McGonagall, maybe, you know, clever. Um, we, we could come up with other things with a cat. Can we think of anything? Why, why is Rita Skeeter a beetle? Is it purely convenience in that it's small and unnoticed? Or is there any character traits we can think of? I I don't that's, really That's know. a true question. I'm not fishing for something. Yeah, I, I don't no, know. I honestly, I was thinking the I same thing when we were know. talking about it. I just noticed that you know, some of the other ones really seem to have some, I guess, uh, characteristics that are, are more than just this person thought it would be. It would it would make their their life easier in one one direction, but it, it almost seems as though Rita Skeeter picked a really good one for her profession. Like now, I, I, it doesn't seem like you can pick for them. this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like you can pick them. That was my question. Like I was like, part of me is like, oh, yeah. you know, I wish you could pick it, and if you could pick it, what would mm. you be? But like, I I don't think you pick them. Like, who would like? I think it's similar to a Patronus to be yeah. a rat. Like, why would Peter Pettigrew? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> 
Well, they were just talking about you know how they could disable the uh, the whomping willow and and uh, wormtail was like I'll be the rat and go <laughs> yeah pick go a under shrew the branch or something yeah. other you know something small that's like a hamster or something something that's a little, little hedgehog a, yeah yeah not how, a little yeah wobbly, how yeah. how did that happen with the the marauders like he must have been riding on someone's back because uh, just imagine like a. a big stag a dog and a werewolf like so gallivanting Josh, around and there's this rat like his little legs running as fast as he can so so i'm thinking now i don't know if uh if if you and sarah have seen the movie ratatouille but i'm thinking that yes, he yeah. is standing on the head of maybe like serious black or uh, you know as a dog and controlling where he goes oh that's amazing this chapter obviously with the final task taking place is significant in and of itself this is what the book is building towards uh, but it's also significant because of what happens right at the end harry and cedric reach for the cup at the same time realizing without even being told in this chapter that it is a port key and they choose to share this victory so-called but will end up sharing much more in the next chapter to come yeah very true yeah i don't think uh, cedric gets off uh, so easily uh, but thank you Sarah for joining us and thank you uh, listeners for uh, tuning in today's episode to support the podcast and keep the magic alive you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts you can also support us financially at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash pod and to send us questions on our Instagram email or website mufflyautopodcast.com to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss the 32nd chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire Flesh, Blood and Bone